Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. All right. What was the question again? Uh, I'm confusing resistance with locking, locking center. Okay. Um, so this is a, this is very important to understand, which is why Budo, which is a pre-modern technology of the self, um, does what it does. Okay. You cannot transform the self, by which we mean, of course, the body, but the mind as well. So I cannot transform the self with the mind that needs the transforming. It's n- it's not possible. Okay, so you you can't heal disease with disease. So. Pre-modern cultures would come in through the body because there's aspects of us, uh, material aspects or quasi-material aspects, such as the breath, for example. The breath, uh, Kokyu, has always held um, this kind of sacred uh, aspect to it in pre-modern cultures. So you're... You come out of the womb and you take this big inhalation and you start crying and it's time to go into the ground and you take a big exhalation and it's time to move on. So there's a sacrality to the breath, a kind of marker. So even if you look at the world's mythology, somewhere in there, the beginning starts with some divine being breathing into you. Okay, so there are material aspects to our body, but there are quasi-material aspects to our body. And because of that, the body is a kind of centrally located thing that allows us to bridge between the sacred and the profane or between things as mundane as our fear, our pride, our ignorance to things as wise as the way of heaven or the way of the kami. Okay, so rule number one, I cannot fix my mind with my broken mind, all right? So I have to uh, understand that my body has to be part of my practice. My, my body is not secondary to it. My, my body is primary, even though it's not the central thing I'm trying to work on, Okay. Now, that has a lot to say about all these academically ran Aikido classes that are all over the place and also um, crowded mats with obese people and frail people, do you get it, and people with mobility issues. Why do we see that? Because the modern mind is working through a mind-body separation and has prioritized the mind, not the body, but 
They forgot the main problem. You cannot fix the mind with the sick mind. It does not work. What happens instead is the sick mind starts to warp reality to fit its disease. So when you're taught or told how to uh, use my center or how to engage my center or how to energize my center, etc., the diseased mind, which is the modern mind, uh, is going to try to think it out. Do you see? And when they think it out, they're going to come up with ways that allow the disease to continue and remain in place. So you, this is why I say what you end up doing is usurping the training. All right. So if you look at what we did today for you, um, or let's just kind of briefly go over your training history, okay? Um, and maybe I'm accurate, maybe I'm not accurate, but I'm going to look at it from um, my, my eyes, the eyes of the teacher, okay? So you came in, you looked uh, very physically weak, uh, very physically uncoordinated, it looked like this was the first time or near the first time uh, where you gave an abundance of your daily hours to super uh, sophisticated motor movements, right? Like, in other words, you did not look like a person who'd been playing college basketball or, do you know what I mean? Um, as, I, as I watched you train... There's always a, uh, a tendency to try to understand intellectually what you're doing. So we're doing a technique uh, or, or a training uh, paradigm that is more dynamic. Like you're like, no, 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 dynamic doesn't let me think. Let me stop. Let me pause. Let me roll my eyes up to the up and left or the up and right and think about what's going on. Do you, do you get it? And that kind of fits with somebody who doesn't have an athletic history because you're looking at a deprioritization of the body and the prioritization of the intellect. And then you just play the odds. What's the era? Oh, we're moderns. Oh, we're, we're living in a, a kind of luxury surplus country. Uh, probably you're not out there um, working in some sort of physical occupation, okay, oh, those odds actually played out with this is actually the first time where you're trying to engage your body at this level. So we did things like we played the kids' games, we played, we brought a lot of the kids' games into the adult classes where you could kind of build up an athletic history, do you see, which means a utilization of the body. And then we had the physical training classes, uh, which dressed your weakness. So they were strength training, resistance training, and things like that, do you see? And we're following that progression of moving from uh, through the athlete. I have to, at a minimum, be an athlete, then a fighter, then I can be the sage, okay? So we're, regardless of what your history was, it looked like it was intellect um, 
prioritized without an athletic history. And so we're trying to uh, get rid of that intellectual prioritization because we're doing Budo, which is a pre-modern system, which does not do that. And then we're trying to get your body in a state where it gains the coordination needed for the training. All right? Does that seem pretty accurate? Yeah? Okay. Now, we still have this human problem that this, I cannot heal the mind with the sick mind, okay? So today you, you had, you received, by this time you've received all that training and it's been years now. How many years? Okay, so, so a little over eight or some over eight or approximately nine years. And it takes, it takes that long, right? And it's going to take a lot, it's going to take a lot longer. Um, but here we are today, over eight years into that training, and you, I could see that you're confusing, as your question said, resistance with center engagement, okay? And so we're, there's nothing to understand. Because no amount of intellectual understanding is going to get your center engaged. Okay? You're never going to think it through, uh, you know, roll, uh, work the numbers, do the algebraic formulas, and go, Eureka! And now your center is engaged. That does not happen. Okay? Instead, the sick mind interprets to remain sickable. All right? Or sick. So... That's you usurping the training. So what did your teacher do? Hey, you're going to go with the uh, group that's throwing more people without any choice for uke, whether they're going to go or not. Do you see? Uh, what is your teacher trying to do? We're not going to think this out anymore. We're going to go through the body. Do you see? And this is... You know, this is one of those things that I think a lot of modern Aikido just does not grasp in, and justifies their not grasping of it. So, for example, you had some bad falls, right? Because you're trying to resist people who uh, know how to reconcile resistance, right? Which would be a martial art of jujitsu, isn't it? But... Um, in most places, they, uke is allowed to, uh, is, is demanded not to resist, and they're choreographed into taking falls, right? But uh, we always tend to resist whenever we're operating with that sick mind because the sick mind is marked by fear, pride, and ignorance, right? The ego tripartite is fully functioning, and uh, these things go together. Resist, right? Contest overpower, all right, which usually works in our life, or so we believe, but does not work against an opponent who knows how to reconcile your resistance or knows how to do jujitsu. It doesn't work, okay? When you were with the smaller people groups and the less skilled groups, it was uh, working for you because they would push into you and you could use your resistance to slow the fall down. Do, do you see that? And sometimes get out of falling altogether. 
But as you got to the more advanced people who goes, oh, I know what, I know what, there was the initial resistance. I knew how to reconcile that. Now you have the fear-generated resistance. And it's just, to them, it's just another resistance to reconcile. Now you're getting thrown, but there's something else that goes with that ego tripartite functioning through this fear. Let's say it's fear in this case, and it's unconsciousness, Okay. And so now you're flying through the air, but you're not really there. It's very hard to hold shape through the air and to land with that shape such that you actually do ukemi versus, uh, I just got thrown, that's all. You, in other words, some of those throws, we, you, you could, that could have been day one. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're just a throwing dummy, not a uke, Okay. So these things go together. Try to remember that. The, the, the reason why the, the true downside of training in a Kihonwaza setting, when fear is driving me and I try to use the sick mind to heal the mind, it's the conjoining unconsciousness. Okay? And you're going to lose your shape. You're not going to be aware of it. And now we're just throwing, how much do you weigh? Okay, so we're just throwing 140 pounds, which to, you know, at least two people in, the, in your group, right? That's nothing to them. Like 140, what the hell is that, right? That's like a pillow. So this is not the way to survive a class, okay? Um, but modern Aikido people will go, oh, man, um, that's, that's really hard training, Poor girl, poor girl, that's not how you treat girls. Do you get it? Well, we're not here to treat girls. We're here to make warriors, okay? And we're here to make warriors through a pre-modern technology. And we already have done all the thinking, and we're never going to heal the mind with the sick mind. We have to come in through the body. And to be truly compassionate is to throw you and to have you crash and have you realize there, there is only futility in trying to overpower others and to contest against others. But you want that lesson, and the only way you're going to get that lesson is through the body. Okay? And the only way you're going to learn the futility of that is that you, you almost, in a way, at first, you generate a greater fear. You use one fear to heal against another fear, in the same way that most medicines are actually poison. But if you take it in a certain dose, under a certain paradigm, it can actually heal you. If you go outside of that paradigm, it's going to kill you, okay? So your ego tripartite is functioning, the fear, pride, and ignorance are driving it, you're enslaved to it. We can't cure that mind with that mind, so we use the sickness of that mind to cure you, okay? So right now, you go, you're now faced with a choice. Um, I'm either going to not contest, engage my center, and land nicely, or contest, not engage my center, and land painfully. So that same fear drive now starts to fix you in alignment with the wisdom course way, okay? 
Um, and so where then does the real compassion rest? In the one that leaves you in the delusion that the sick mind can heal the mind? And the one that has you um, going around in life trying to overpower everything and everyone and entering into contests with everything and everyone? To me, that's, that is the, the most hateful thing you can do to a person, all right? So, yes, you, you can risk injury here, but how many years went in to preparing you for that lesson, right? How many hours went in? This is, this is not a teacher who goes like, oh, I got an asshole on the mat, and let's show them assholery, what happens to assholery, right? No. How many hours are given to you where you're history is addressed, your strength requirements are addressed, do you see? We're playing games. We're playing games. We're playing kids' games in our Aikido class, right? Because some people needed that athletic history, do you see? So how much, how can we say that that is in some way abusive? Like, no, this is as compassionate as you can be in light of the circumstances that we can't use the sick mind to heal the mind. We have to come in through the body, okay? And the best we can do is use part of the sick mind, part of the disease, to cure the overall disease. So you, if you are in a reactionary capacity to fear, let's use one fear to get rid of the other fear, okay? And get you in the ballpark. So you're like, what's the ballpark? Well, here at the end, some of you were risking... Um, letting them throw you, right? As opposed to trying to slow the throw down, trying to leak energy out, uh, all that kind of stuff. And you saw that I survived. In fact, it's actually easier that way. If I let them do all the work, I don't have to do anything. In fact, there's so much momentum, I don't even have to get up. I just have to transfer the throwing energy into seeking a higher level. So I'm never getting tired. You know, if you watch um, beginners, a lot of times what's getting them, what makes them so winded is how much they have to use their legs and because it's a large muscle group. And where do they use most of their leg work? Changing levels from the ground to get up. Do you see? And you watch the beginners, that's a totally separate exercise for them because they've been trying to get as much energy leakage in the technique as possible, meaning they're trying to disengage it from the technique as much as possible, meaning they're being driven by their fear. They're not in control, and they want some control. Then that's where that will to power starts functioning. Do do you get that? So uh, if you do it right, like some of you were at the end, it's easy. I didn't do anything. I will admit It's a little scary in that moment where you normally try to get control and then you just allow it to happen. It's a little scary, but you're not wasting all of those ATP molecules, right? And you're not getting all winded and all that kind of stuff, right? And again, as I said, um, when you kick up the intensity, let's take that last technique, and you do that leakage thing, that... Uh, rifle stock is coming and hitting you right in the jaw, okay? Because you're, you're doing something that 
makes sense to you, but it's because you're fear-driven. You're fear-driven. It does not make sense. It, it does not make sense in terms of what is the most efficient way of receiving this technique, what is the safest way of receiving this technique, and what do people actually do who are having their rifle disarmed? Do you see? They hold on tight and they get a kind of uh, center engagement because they don't want to get killed, right? So I, you're just at that state. Um, did you get hurt today? You might get sore because you had some bad falls, right? Um, but I think this is something we have to do. You, you just have to start going with the with the more skilled people when, if we go in groups. Like, that's just your group, and I'll tell you when it's not, okay? Now, it's also something that you've been advised to do when we just train one-on-one. One -on -one. Challenge yourself. Don't go with the ukes and the nagas that make you comfortable. Those, those people are inside your homeostasis. They're inside your status quo. Um, they're, they're antithetical to your transformation. You're, you're letting this training be usurped. In other words, you're subverting it. So if we're in groups, that's your group. But if you're with individuals, you can still seek out the members of that group. You don't want to be uh, seeking out the people that don't challenge you, Right. And if you happen to be one that challenges people, then you should challenge people because therein is the true compassion. There's no compassion in, you know, letting them remain enslaved to their fear, pride, and ignorance and stuck in that fear threat cycle where they're contesting and trying to overpower everything. So... You want to sophisticate your skill because you're going to have multiple locations where they're resisting you, so that means you're going to have to decontest multiple times in a technique, but they should still be thrown. It's not up to them, okay? Now, you might be going, well, uh, what do I do with the beginners? And I, you know, I don't want to kill the beginners. Yeah, don't kill the beginners. You're going to reprioritize your training. The beginner is doing uh, the training that we just described. They don't have an athletic history. This is the commencement of their athletic history. So let them just move. Let them figure out right, left, homolateral movement, cross-lateral movement, low center of gravity, balance, just basic stuff. Um, that's your time to give back to the dojo. Okay? In that way. Let them do that. Um, try to read them. Try to feel for when they're getting tense so that you're still working on your sensitivity. Um, try to learn how to manipulate their body by the ukemi that you're presenting. So a person who does not know the technique, if you are a good uke, you can get them to do the technique uh, just by how you move. They'll, they'll figure it out. Okay, And if you can do that, then you can do that when you're offensively. You can make an attacker move where they didn't want to move, but they thought it's them that's wanting to do that. Okay, So 
Now, I'm not talking about chucking those people, but somebody that's got seven, eight years or wants to be a cop or whatever. Hey, I won't kill you, but I have to help save you from yourself, and you will not be allowed to practice fear and contest on the mat, especially when the teacher sends them over to you. Do you understand? Okay. Do you understand? I send them to you too. Uh, any other questions or comments? Then let me talk a little bit on this role of the body. So 12, 12 years of high-level studying all these pre-modern and older cultural systems that work on ourselves, these 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 old ancient wellness systems or old ancient wisdom traditions. Let's just call them wisdom traditions, okay? Uh, they all make use of the body because the mind-body division is really one of the markers of modernity, okay? So this is why I say uh, your Aikido is not real if it's not a practice, by which I mean functioning at the level of the body. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to hear, um, you know, what you understand. If you, because it's just a discourse, and anybody can repeat it. Anybody has been exposed via the Internet to enough of O-sensei's writings where you can learn the discourse, and you can say, center, center, aiki, aiki, heart, love, center, center, non-resistance. Do you, you get it? But then you're like, can I see you move? Holy shit, what the fuck is that? Right? You are nothing but a fear-driven, contestation, uh, addictive person. You're totally, no, you're just a book, nothing else. Okay? So... After 12 years of studying all these traditions, I have condensed it for you in a very simple way. Just like the ego tripartite, that's a, a very simple model to understand. If you go and you go, like, I want to see what the original traditions say, you, you're going to be reading for 12 years, okay? You're gonna, it's, uh, it's really not worth it, in my opinion. So I've told you about those lists, for example, that describe... Um, uh, a person's perception of something like how how do we as human beings come to perceive this cup that is sitting in front of me and you're going to open up the buddhist lexicon and you're like holy cow the list just go on and on and on and on and on or you're going to get into the correspondence system of omoto kyo and you're like, oh God! It just you know, it's almost like when you when you read the Bible and they're doing the begetting and begotten, and you're like, let me get back to the story, you know. Um, but to the umpteenth degree. So, what do all these wisdom traditions say? How do I have a body practice? By which we mean, how do I have a practice? By which we mean, if I'm only a discursive thing, I don't have a practice. How do I address the body through these wellness systems, through these wisdom traditions? And I have given you four things, okay? What's one of them? 
diet or nutrition, okay? If we say the word diet, we don't mean calorie restriction, okay? We don't mean uh, um, how, do I, how do I look hotter in my bikini? That's not what we mean, okay? We mean that you're going to take the, the consumption of nutrition, the eating of food, and make it part of your training. It's going to have an orientation and a direction. Now, why? Because it has a huge impact on your sick mind, on your second mind aspect, and on your body. There's very few things that have as much influence over how you experience the world as what you put in your body. Got it? So every wisdom tradition of the past has a wisdom on eating, drinking, when, how, what, to, to what degree. Do you get it? It's not a free-for-all where you come into the dojo and nobody ever asks you, what are you eating, how much, when, do you see? But yet they expect you to face your fears, to face bodily ruination when maybe you're just in no shape to do it. What's another one? Sleep. Sleep. Again, another major thing that influences how you experience the world. And again, if you go to pre-modern wisdom traditions, there's no binge-watching Netflix in your bed to 2 a.m., just one more, 3 a.m., oh, fuck it, I'll get, take a nap later, 4 a.m. There's no, you, you're not going to find a temple or a hermitage with Wi-Fi and access to Netflix. Do you get it? Uh, it? Meaning you go to sleep when they tell you to go to sleep. And not only that, they'll even govern where you sleep, and how you sleep, okay? It's not a free-for-all. You don't get to go, this looks comfy. So you're, you don't get to choose your bed. You don't get to choose your pillow. You don't get to choose your number of blankets. You, the, wall, the paint on the walls, all of it is governed, okay? And also, you, no, no, you don't get to sleep in your fetal position. What? This is how I like to sleep. Uh, no. And the bedding might be of such a way that it won't allow you to do it. If you're really stubborn, we got some special bedding for you. You know, you have to sleep on this side, facing this direction with your head oriented. Do you get it? It's all prescribed. Why? Because, again, there are a few things, we only mentioned one so far, that so affects how you experience the world like sleep. All right, so what's the third one? Worldview. We're going to save that one for the end because that is the end. Okay. What's the next one? Fitness. Fitness. Okay. Or just the physicality of the body. Because again, quite contrary to the modern Aikidoka who is believing as long as they can repeat the discourse, right? They're doing that, you know, love, love, Aiki, Aiki, center, center, extension, extension, center, Aiki, center, Aiki, you know. We're like, well, I don't care how much you say that. Let me see how you, how you move, how you act, right? So our bodies are how, in large part, we experience the world. Not like we like to think that it's my 
ideas or my intellectual perception of it. So let's just take uh, something that comes up in law enforcement all the time. Um, uh, and it comes from communication theory. So um, things about, uh, it's called proxemics, how, how far I stay, stand away from you, let's say we're standing, and to what angle and what height uh, comes to influence the message. So too does body language. And depending on the study, it's some crazy amount like proxemics and body language actually determines the, mes- the meaning of the message in the listener like well over 50%. Well, what does the what does the academic that right the jargonite who's prioritized the intellect? What does the jargonite think? Oh no, no, right? And so everybody's a good modern uh, law enforcement pulls from the community, so that means we're pulling from good moderns, and uh, that means we're pulling from jargonite culture, right? And they're standing here, and they have their body like that, and they don't realize why the reporting party just thinks they're the biggest asshole in the world. They're like, I didn't say anything. I, I was just speaking nicely. No, yeah, but you're standing like an asshole where assholes stand, how assholes stand. So change, change. Got it? Do, do you understand that? So it, there is an example that my body has a big influence on how I experience the world because now I'm in a fight with this person. Do you get it? So again, another major component of that, I got what I eat, what I put in my body, I got sleep, and I have this fitness. So what's the last one? Worldview. And finally we get to the mind. Okay, finally we get to the mind. Uh, So let's go through it and let's see what we have. So the first one was nutrition. And what are we trying to achieve with nutrition? Let's hear your digest of all the information over the years. Staying alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't want to eat uh, toxic foods, right? But at the same time, I don't want to become uh, a, a kind of, um, you know, like a, a militaristic or a militant uh, vegan, right, using Mark Ripito's things, because that's going to subvert my worldview. Do you see? My, milit- my militant uh, vegetarianism is feeding my will to power. So, no, we, we, we have to keep them all going and all working with each other without contradicting each other, right? So, if I shove my nutrition plan down your throat, I'm trying to gain control over you Somehow you're threatening to me because I'm working with that ego tripartite and my fear has enslaved me and now to get rid of my fear, I got to make you submit to me. So no, okay? Um, So, but we do watch the toxins, right? Um, Why do we watch the toxins? What are are we interested in? What, What, okay, so we're interested in addictions, Right? And a carb addiction, alcohol addiction, marijuana addiction, um, prescription medication addiction, self-medication addiction, all of these will violate the worldview, which we haven't discussed yet, okay? They will all violate the worldview. 
Um, and so we have to get rid of our addictions. And most of those addictions, all of those that I mentioned, are actually in modern culture, culturally accepted addictions. Okay? But not for a person on the way. They are not because there is still an enslavement there that is happening. I don't have true freedom. I am a slave to these things. Okay? What, what else are we after? So we want to be addiction-free. We don't want to use our nutrition through a will to power. What else are we after? Okay, so we want to be able to maintain our athleticism and the, endure the hard training that we do. And, and again, if you train three hours a week, uh, whatever, right? Enjoy Taco Bell. You'll be fine. But if you're trying to train more than that each day, you will not be fine. It will catch up to you, okay? So we're trying to obey the law of training, which is the more hours committed to it, the more yield I'll get from those hours. The less hours, the less yield. And once you are obeying the, this law of yield, you're going to have to play a role in, in, you're going to have to understand how your nutrition allows you to train at that level. And so, again, with the addictions, if you're doing uh, nutritional addictions or culturally accepted addictions, sooner or later, it's going to catch up to you. It will catch up to you. You're going to have to take some weeks off or you're going to get injured and you're not going to heal as fast and things like that. All right. But we're also after an operational fitness, which is the next one. Right. So you want to understand these four disciplines, nutrition, uh, sleep hygiene, fitness and worldview. You want to understand them interdependently. Each one tells you what the other one has to do. Okay. so. Um, if you go to fitness, we're, we're after an operational fitness. That means what kind of strength to weight ratio do I need to do hand to hand or weapon to hand or hand to weapon fighting and training, right? If I'm too big at the cost of mobility, I will suffer. Okay. Now true in, in, in pure empty hand, combat size counts but in armed combat mobility trumps size that doesn't it's not an excuse to be weak but it is a reason not to get so heavy and so strong that you have an adaptation of stiffness and a loss of mobility that you're not functioning in terms of your fitness so that's why we use the phrase the operational fitness do you got that what are we doing and I need to be fit for what we're doing. I need to be able to do Hanmi Handachi and Shiko. My knees need to be able to be mobile. And I don't start making it. I had one guy, he was all like, uh, you know, he was one of those jargonites. So he's all doing the talk, right? And I was all like, hey, do you have a video of you? Um, right? No, they never make a video. Never, right? Because they're jargonites. And then what, guess what he said? He's all like, uh, something like, well, I'm 53 now. Well, dude, you're one year younger than me, you know? Why, why don't you, you whippersnapper, why don't you put the video out there? Do you get it? But he couldn't imagine that at 54 that I was able to do Shiko like that. Do you see? Do you get it? Um, to me, the problem is the loss of mobility. 
If I lose the mobility, I cannot function in armed combat. I just can't. You're, you're, you're not operationally fit, okay? And if you, can't, if you can't function anymore, then it's definitely time to stop talking, okay? So we want that operational fitness, so we're recommending, right, uh, uh, watch your calorie intake. And if you have, if you come to training late in your life, which is, you know, probably if you're in your 20s, if you come to training in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and you're a good modern, you probably have a carb addiction. And as a result of that, you probably have some sort of metabolic syndrome uh, all the way up to diabetes, to some sort of organ failures, uh, things like that. If that's the case, then you have to address that carb addiction. So we, we might put you on uh, uh, you know, no, ex no excessive calories and for a while address your carb count, okay? Because we're after that operational fitness. And one of the markers that we use for that is what? Who can remember? Pull-ups, right? Pull-ups. Pull-ups is a, is a very good marker for strength-to-weight uh, ratio, for a sound strength-to-weight ratio. Uh, if you're so super strong, but you can't do your pull-ups, you're too heavy for, for our sport here or our activity, what, what, the athletic nature of what we're doing, okay? Um, then... We have into we go into what what was it what's the next one not the last one, the sleep hygiene okay the sleep hygiene so how you eat what you eat when you eat can interfere with how well you sleep, and we're recommending right eight to nine hours that's that's what I sleep, um, and you're like oh I don't have time for that you don't have time for that because you're a good modern person. And you live a life of distraction. You haven't brought the asceticism into your training yet. Where here's what I do. I go to work. I, I am with my family. And I go train. You know, you, you have some sort of prioritization to your life. As opposed to still living like a modern person. Where you have, I don't know why I'm doing this. I have no idea why I spent all this time doing this. Uh, and now there's no time for anything else. Right. So this is an example of if I hold myself to the eight to nine hours of sleep and I'm training multiple hours per day, uh, you're going to have to prioritize your life. Your whole of your life is going to come into your training. And how should I do that? You're going to do it according to the worldview, the fourth one, just like I'm going to eat according to my fitness requirements. Um, I'm going to sleep according to my worldview requirements, okay? Everything goes back and forth like that. So another one, for example, is uh, if you eat uh, and you're, we, we, I'm recommending that you eat either at your, what if probably those caloric values came up in the 70s. So they're probably pretty good because 
if you don't make sure you're looking for the old uh, caloric values because I'm sure some modern person is going to go, these got to be updated and I, I need my 4,000 calories a day, right? And I, I got to eat two pizzas, you know. Um, but these, these, these other calorie values, so what are they again for men? 2,000? 2,500, women was 2,000, okay? And keep yourself in that ballpark. But if you want to experience the worldview, you can play with fasting, intermittent fasting, and low caloric intake because that will mellow you out, okay? A lot of your mood agitation uh, comes from how you eat, what you eat, how much you eat, uh, all that kind of stuff. So again, if you look at pre-modern wisdom traditions, no, it's usually uh, low-cal, low-carb, and uh, very uh, strict when and how, right? Um, So that you're after that, let me kind of de-agitate my emotional self, my emotional aspects, right? which is going to allow you to practice the worldview more. So the worldview, again, it's an amalgam of all these pre-modern wisdom traditions, and that is that reality is impermanent and codependent or interdependent. And we're part of reality, so I am also impermanent. And every experience I have of reality is a codependent or interdependent experience of reality okay so if i let's say i am doing intermittent fasting or fasting or locale and i'm getting that de-agitation of my emotional self you're going to be better able to accept maybe something as threatening as your own personal extinction because that is your reality right um things you'll find in a low-cal or a calorie deficit and this de-agitation of the emotional self, things you'll find is like you, you stop sweating the small shit, okay? You just stop. This is not important. Uh, and you don't, you're like, why was that so important to me? Because you ate two pizzas. You had two pizzas for breakfast and you had that big submarine sandwich for lunch. And you're like, whoa. You, the jargonite, the modern wants to go, no, that has nothing to do with my mind. But the pre-modern person is like, duh, duh, what did you think? Your body was just going to do that? And, and then your body's just not, it's going to be fine with it and have no impact on your mind? You're crazy. You're crazy. Okay? So go back. We started with nutrition. If you have a metabolic syndrome, address that first. If you have any sort of carb addiction, address that first. Go low carb. Don't be militant with your nutrition plan. You know, don't don't vegan people. Don't paleo people. Just eat to what end? For my operational fitness, it has to support it, and I have to understand that nutrition affects me hugely in my experience of the world. So it can affect how well I can implement my worldview. That I I experience the world always through that worldview. The next one we had was our physicality. We want an operational fitness, so we want a sound strength to weight ratio that is prioritizing mobility without forfeiting strength. It's not an excuse for weakness. 
I have to train multiple hours a day and my body has to be able to do it because if my body can't, I'm left with that original problem of the sick mind trying to heal the mind. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Okay? And, and it's really quite a lot to ask of a physically weak person who subconsciously knows they're weak to, hey, go over to the big guys and let them chuck your body through space. Like, that's not really fair to that person. That, that, the, the body knows, please don't do this, right? Please stop. Uh, and uh, it's going to take control of your mind, and you will not be able to implement worldview. You're just going to go ego tripartite, contest, will to power, delusion. That's all you're going to do, okay? So even as you work for this strength-to-weight ratio, you are affecting your worldview, do you see? The, the weak person um, is almost, you can, you can inverse how you define this. So usually you want to say weakness means no strength, um, but I would say weakness is when you're in that contestation trap, do you see? Um, it's, it's more like that. That, that's more the source, okay? And now you are pushing on things and you're not always stronger. And that, that's where you clue in. But if you had this, what do we want to say, grit or um, tenacity or audacity, you know, for real, you wouldn't have to overpower everything. Do you see? And if you didn't try to overpower everything, the fact that you got overpowered would not be risked and would not stand out to you. You just like, I, I didn't push on that and I didn't lose, okay? And kind of remember like jujitsu is like a, a logic trick in a way. It's like I can't lose if I don't contest against you. I'm invincible, okay? It's not invincible, invincibility from the point of view that I'm all-powerful, it's just I can't lose what I don't compete in, okay? And then we had um, the sleep hygiene, eight to nine hours. You're going to have to organize your life. You're going to have to prioritize. You're going to have to bring in the ascetic practice of sacrifice. You're going to have to get rid of your addiction to entertainment and distraction and the ways of the world. All, all of that has to be addressed, um, if you're going to get eight hours a day, have a job, have a family, and train multiple hours a day, there's just not enough hours for all the worldly distractions, all the way of the world, okay? And then the last one is this worldview, uh, impermanence and codependent origination, which if you don't buy that, you're wasting your time in jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu is based upon that truth. Everything keeps moving, Nothing stays the same, and everything is dependent upon me in part, okay? So the reason that person, the reason that, that naga or that uke is beating the shit out of me every time, no matter how much this thing moves, is because I'm pushing on them, I'm contesting on them, I am not following this worldview, Okay? These four things that you, you understand through all four things, 
is going to change how you train. It's going to make you actually have a practice. The dojo cannot be a place where you go after work at the end of the day. Like it's not your hobby place. Do you see? Because there's no time for it. And there's no aspect of your life that has not been included in the training. And you're in a dojo where if you falter on these things amongst people who are not faltering on these things, in a dojo where that is the cultural expectation, you're going to pay. Do you get it? You, you, will, you, you cannot survive. It will not allow you to survive. This training is going to make you cry. This training is going to make you hurt. This training is going to make you want to quit. Do, do you get it? You're not strong enough. So that is another kind of motivator. This is the wisdom course way of the dojo. These four disciplines, they are themselves amalgam, an amalgam of multiple, multiple wisdom traditions, right? But then they're also the expectation of the dojo. So they're... You get all the time you want to get them. You get all the advice you need. You get all the information. You get to, you know, reverse course to get them. But there's always this expectation in the nature of the training itself that holds you to it where you're falling apart one way or another. Hey, how are your four disciplines? Ooh, not good. Not good. You're not getting enough sleep. Why? Oh, you're still practicing entertainment addiction. You're still following the way of the world, right? You're still not figuring out how to truly and fully invest in your relationships outside of the dojo or maybe bringing your relationships into the dojo. What about that idea? Oh, that's weird. Right? And I stopped practicing escapism. I stopped practicing part-time, pastime. I actually have a practice. Okay. That's what we want. Because we can't get around that first premise. The sick mind cannot heal the mind. It does not happen. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.